0: I uh, really felt the Lord was speaking something to me this morning that shook me a bit. I just took some time in prayer and just felt like uh, God's pushing me beyond my comfort zone. So uh, I want to just say to you, Jim Shifflett, we are honored you're back in America, that you made it back, uh, that you're now back in Oklahoma and uh, we love you and kathy and i just want to acknowledge that jim and kathy shiflett who want you guys raise your hands so everybody knows who i'm talking about um, have been missionaries to china prior to that they served this house and worked here in partnership kathy has been the high school principal Uh, jim has pastored churches they work in a tremendous uh, capacity of ministry and uh, I just want to speak a blessing over you guys and say thank you so much for your service, for your love for the Lord, for your encouragement, for your inspiration. Uh, We honor you and celebrate you today. Appreciate who you are and what you stand for. God bless you guys. Don't let all those accolades fool you. I've played many holes of golf with this guy and he is not very nice sometimes, so. So here we are, dedicating children before the Lord, um, recognizing parents make great sacrifices for their children. It seems very, honest, uh, very obvious, doesn't it? Parents make great sacrifices for their children. Uh, I want to just challenge you to think about this with me today. Because God has called us as sons and daughters of God, in the kingdom of God, to learn what it is to mother and father sons and daughters, as Paul did Timothy, as Elijah did Elisha. Uh, We see this mothering, this fathering element. And how many of you know, mothers and fathers make great sacrifices for sons and daughters? It's just the nature of the order of relationship so we're going to take a look at that today. I, I thought about this story I heard of a man that was working in his garage, was just very diligent. Three-year-old little girl came out. He's under the car doing something. And she says, Daddy. And he says, Yes, sweetheart. He's working. And she says, uh, I made something for you. And, you know, he's still working. He says, Oh, thank you. And she said, um, it's a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. You want it. And so he pokes his head out and realizes she's actually holding crackers with peanut butter and jelly in the crackers. I mean, it was the sweetest thing ever. And so uh, he said, oh, thank you, sweetheart. He celebrated her effort, you know, peanut butter and jelly sandwich on crackers, okay. And so um, she, she gives him the peanut butter and jelly sandwich, and he, he eats it, and he's, he's chewing, and he says, sweetheart, those crackers are really stale. And she said, I found them in the trash. And he said, uh, You found the crackers in the trash? She, he said, she said, Yeah, I found the crackers and decided I would make the sandwich myself. He said, Your mom didn't help you make the sandwich. No, I chewed the peanuts up and chewed the raisins up and made my own peanut butter and jelly and put it on the crackers. And the dad <clears throat> swallows. Them. And she said, uh, Daddy, you want another one? <laughs> and he said, No, but I bet your mama does. <laughs> Uh, we make sacrifices. I thought about this story with uh, my daughter, Faith. Tracy had something to do with her too. And so uh, we were, uh, she was pretty little and, and she, I'd been teaching the girls about sharing and, and I made this little plate of fruit and, uh, and she came over and sat down. she's looking at the fruit and she said, I, I'm orange, I'm orange. I had orange slice. And so I gave her the orange slice and as I'm sitting there, she uh, put it in her mouth and began to chew it and then she decided she was finished because she had eaten all the juice. And what I happened, though, when I gave it to her, I made a big deal and said, Oh, Daddy loves to share with Faith. Sharing is important, honey. And I made this big to-do of it and so gave her the, the slice. She's eating it. And then she takes the remainder of the slice out of her mouth after she's already eaten the juice from it. And she's looking at it and she looks at me and she goes, "Faith, share, Dad, Dad. <laughs> She hands it to me and, and I was torn because I wanted to celebrate her sacrifice but how I many of you know it's just flat gross to eat a chewed up orange but parents make sacrifices and in that moment I'm telling you the truth. I took that chewed up orange and ate it and said, oh sweetheart, thank you so much. <laughs> parents make sacrifices. <clears throat> Anybody hungry now? Nobody, Nobody is worried about lunch or anything. I want you to imagine as we talk about this Uh, idea of the treasure of legacy I want you to imagine you're going to like this uh, imaginative journey that we're going to go on I want you to imagine that you've been given a bank account and in this bank account every morning when you wake up sometime before you woke that bank account was deposited uh, 86,000 specifically 86,400 dollars How many of you would like that day in your life, right? Imagination is really going well so far. But here's the kicker. At night, when you go to sleep, sometime after you go to sleep, it zero balances out. And everything that was remaining in the account is now completely gone. How would you live that day? $86,400 richer, right? You would take every bit of it out. Now, there's another component of this, because while you're sleeping, not only does the account balance out to zero, it zeros out, but then it replenishes for the next day eighty six thousand four hundred dollars. So when you wake up, you have again how much eighty six thousand four hundred dollars so every morning you have eighty six thousand four hundred dollars and how would you live your life if you had an account that every day gave you eighty six thousand four hundred dollars? you would live your life taking a withdrawal of eighty six thousand how much? every single day to make the most of what you'd been given. Are we all in agreement with this? Now, I want you to understand this imagination or imaginary scenario that I'm giving you actually is not so imaginary. Because every day before you wake up, you're given 86,400 seconds in a 24-hour period of time. And every night when you go to bed, sometime after you go to bed, that day zeroes out. And the next morning at 12 o'clock, 12.01, you're given 86,400 seconds. How you spend your time is how you invest your life. And this becomes the legacy that you leave. So when we look at a jar full of BBs telling us how many Saturdays we have with our children, we consider that we have a certain number of seconds in a 24-hour period of time, and that, the, the, that those moments and those hours and those days, they turn into weeks and months and years and they pass so quickly. Can anybody relate to that? And how we invest those moments and those hours and those days is really a significant element of how we live our lives, and how we live our lives then produces a true legacy that we leave. So I want you to think with me about this because I believe God is asking us, you know, I mentioned I was up this morning just wrestling over something and I'm going to get to this in the message to share with you some of what many of us have been sensing as the next season of the body of Christ. I want you to know there's something shifting in the church. If you'll hear more than just my speaking encouragement, and you'll listen for the sound of what God's desiring to reveal, I want you to recognize and understand. Folks, we live in an era of time. It's a beautiful era of time. Uh, We live in a wonderful place. It's it's an amazing part of the world. But there's been a lot entrusted to our care that we need to be very prayerful and careful with, particularly in a season where an adjustment is taking place. And there is a major shift coming in the body of Christ. So we need, to, we need to think this through. Right now, I'm, I'm, uh, in two weeks, I'm going to be talking a little more about this. But right now, I'm, I'm looking at research that's, that's revealing. And after having some conversations with various leaders and pastors we work with, um, one in five churches are considering closing down right now in this nation. You need to let that settle in. One in three pastors right now are considering quitting. We're in an incredible time in our nation. Incredible time in the nations of the world. And the thing that I'm going to challenge you with today is to understand in the midst of pain, there's always purpose. And sometimes, I mean, I I read Acts chapter 2, this great outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Aren't you glad that the New Testament church was born? I mean, amazing, Peter, of all people, the guy who blew it, you know, chopped off the ear, sank in the water, uh, you know, denied Jesus three times. This is the guy God chose for the inaugural address of the birth of the New Testament church. I mean, I'm so encouraged by this. And the power of God that is demonstrated Acts chapter 2, this phenomenal release of God's kingdom in the church and the earth. And then we see in Acts chapter 8, all this persecution begin to happen. How can that be the case when God's released so much power and then there's all this horrible persecution? It was the very persecution that was being used against the church that actually called, caused the spread of the gospel of Jesus Christ all over the world. Do you understand? God wants to take every painful situation that ever exists within your life and do something purposeful and meaningful with it. And so we need to recognize and understand our children are watching us. The next generation, they're looking to us. How are we managing what we are facing in this moment in time? And are we crumbling or are we rising up in a place of great strength? And I want to call to something strong in your hearts and in your lives and in your faith and in your spirit. I want to declare today, rise up sons and daughters of God. Let's become everything God's called us to be and see the church expand and the kingdom of God expand the way God desires for the kingdom to expand. Come on, let's just, declare it in agreement. Everybody in the room unified. Lord, let your kingdom come. Let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven in Jesus' mighty name. We are this generation church mothers and fathers for the next generation church sons and daughters, and we need to understand what it is to live our lives in a way that is sacrificial in the expression of who we are, so that they, they are raised up as sons and daughters that understand and see what this is supposed to look like. Effectively preparing for a future beyond us, not just our lives, but a Legacy. Effectively preparing for a future beyond us means that we work together to make our church spiritually strong. How many of you know God desires for us to be spiritually strong, not just for our lives, but for a legacy beyond us? That means we stay true to pure doctrine. That means we lift up the name of Jesus. That means society and the culture around us can be swayed into all kinds of ideologies and constitutional conclusions, but we'll remain foundational, fundamentally, biblically aligned according to the Word of God, whether it's popular or not. So we want our church to be spiritually strong in our lives and a legacy that remains regardless of what the world may be wavering through in their ideologies. That means that we will be relationally strong. This is part of the body of Christ. You and I are created in the image of community God. You and I are created in the image of Trinity God. Community God. Community is a part of our DNA. External. External. When you when you individualize your life, you are tampering with the power of the gospel in who you are. So many of the commandments we find in Scripture cannot be fulfilled alone. We're created to be spiritually strong, relationally strong. We want to leave our church spiritually strong. We want to leave our church relationally strong for our sons and daughters to be raised up in that type of culture and atmosphere. And we want to raise up our sons and daughters in a church family that we've made financially strong. You know, there are such things as endowments where people actually position money that the principle never gets touched and the interest perpetuates and expands the purposes for which they establish the principle. And, and I just believe that there are some things that God is wanting to do in this next season of the church where a next generation church isn't just saddled with debt and under financial pressure, but they're looking at a scenario that we're leaving to them in the next generation. And they're saying, God has provided abundantly. How can we transform society? God has entrusted so much to our care. How can we use everything that's come our way and express God's kingdom in the earth in powerful and profound ways? So I want to challenge you. Let's devote ourselves to pure doctrine and the pursuit of God and staying in the Word and connecting with each other relationally, working hard. Listen, tonight we're going to have a a Zoom call with all of our community group leaders on these very important issues that are at stake and that are at hand. And I want to just... I want you to understand something. As we move into this next season, we are not on our heels. We are not sitting back wondering how are we going to manage this. We are on our toes and we're moving forward saying, Lord, what is it you're desiring to do? And we want to walk this thing out. But I don't want to, I don't want to bypass these important components where we are spiritually strong, we're relationally strong, we're financially strong. And I challenge you to rise up in a place in a posture financially where you worship God with your giving so that we can effectively make a difference in the society and the community around us. It's a beautiful thing that that Haley shared in the beginning as we're celebrating. 80 families receiving uh, baskets, you know, turkey and and baskets that's in a laundry basket and and hats off to Destiny Christian School uh, for all of their partnership in that process and the students rallying together and the connections and relationships through many of those happening through the church so that we can minister to those families and those people. Come on. That's what we ought to be doing. Praise God, we've already put to use the safe uh, home that we have to protect battered women who need to get out of abuse situations. We've already put that to use. We've already been able to utilize that. Come on. These are the things we should be doing as a church and the community, rising up in the love and power of Jesus Christ. We don't show up just to play patty cake for the Lord Jesus and sing our songs and go off and live our lives and hope we have a great life. And then we hope our kids have a great life. I'm talking about establishing and building a true legacy of God's kingdom in the earth that our children, our sons and daughters, will prophesy and rise up and be spiritually strong, relationally strong, and understand what it is to walk in all that God desires for them to possess. What will be spoken of your life? What will be spoken of your legacy? There's a difference. We say often, you'll never leave a legacy until you live a legacy. So we want to live a legacy, not merely live a life. And I want to help you understand that from a scriptural standpoint today. We're going to read quite a bit of scripture together. We're going to go through a little bit of a study. And I want to point something out that I believe is incredibly significant as we evaluate individually what's your life, what's your legacy, what's our life, what is our legacy. 2 Kings chapter 18 verse 5 very interesting. This is the life of Hezekiah. What will be spoken of your life? This is what was spoken of Hezekiah's life. Can you imagine? Hezekiah trusted in the Lord, the God of Israel. There was no one like him among all the kings of Judah, either before him or after him. How many of you know that is a big statement? I mean, that is a phenomenal statement to be made about somebody in Scripture. Hezekiah doesn't even get all that much press whenever we read through the Bible, like we give press to King David and King Solomon and you know many other characters in the Bible, but Hezekiah is not somebody who gets a lot of press, and it says there was no one like him among all the kings of Judah, either before him or after him. That is phenomenal. So I want us to think about that, tuck that away, keep that in mind, and I want to share with you something interesting uh, that resembles his legacy, Hezekiah's legacy, what we'll, that we'll look at in a moment, and then 700 years earlier in Joshua's legacy. Mighty Joshua served God with all of his heart, mentored by Moses. Here's one of those father-son mentoring relationships that we see again in Scripture. Powerful things happened under Joshua's care and leadership and all of those that were around him in leadership. But then there's this incredible verse of scripture that I hope will cause your heart to ache just a little bit, as it does the heart of God, I'm sure. Judges chapter 2, verses 7 to 11, the people served the Lord throughout the lifetime of Joshua. That's what's spoken of his life. The people served the Lord throughout the lifetime of Joshua and the elders who outlived him who had seen all the great things the Lord had done for Israel. But then verse 10 is where we start to understand, moving beyond the life into the legacy, we see complications in this situation. After that whole generation had been gathered to their ancestors, another generation grew up who neither knew the Lord nor what he had done for Israel, and then the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord, and they served Baals. Now this is... This is pretty wild because so much was going on in what God was doing in Joshua's day and after his generation concluded their life, somehow they they had a strength about their life but there was a, 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 a deficiency in the legacy that didn't carry on beyond them. And then we see Hezekiah coming on the scene 700 years. Of course, Israel had gone through all kinds of issues, ups and downs and ups and downs and dealing with all the things that they were dealing with. But then we see Hezekiah 700 years later addressing some of those very issues of disobedience that the Israelites had been uh, embracing in their lives. And and it speaks of Hezekiah in 2 Kings 18 verses 3 through 5. Hezekiah did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. Let me know that's a good life to live. Hezekiah did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, just as his father David had done. He removed the high places, he smashed the sacred stones, cut down the Asherah poles, he broke into pieces the bronze snake Moses had made, for up to that time the Israelites had been burning incense to it. This is a really interesting story, and the history of all of this is when the the Israelites were disobedient in the wilderness, and the snakes went in to bite them, and Moses uh, cried out to God on their behalf, and he raised up a bronze serpent which spoke of of judgment and and that serpent in the wilderness, then the Israelites would look to that raised up serpent in the wilderness and when they would look upon that serpent, then they would be healed. And It was a powerful declaration that one day Jesus who knew no sin would become sin and be raised up on a cross and you and I in a state of sinfulness would look to him and we would be healed and restored and replenished. It's a powerful declaration we see in Scripture. But the problem was the Israelites didn't put their focus on God, who was the healer. Instead, they put their focus on this, on this this pole that had been raised up. And they were now worshiping and actually idolatry had entered into their hearts. And they were looking at the wrong focus and all of this. And they were offering incense to it. And so Hezekiah is addressing this. And it says, he trusted in the Lord, the God of Israel, verse five, and there was none like him among all kings of Judah, either before him or after, which we read a moment ago. Second Chronicles 29 also speaks of how he restored the service of the temple, and all the people rejoiced. How you know Hezekiah lived a wonderful life? Think about this, because Hezekiah, because of what the Bible says about him, Hezekiah is arguably the greatest father of reformation in the history of Israel. He is arguably the greatest father of of reformation, restoration in the history of Israel. His life was amazing. But his legacy had a problem. After Hezekiah, another king stepped onto the scene. And it happened to be Hezekiah's son. His name's Manasseh. And in 2 Kings 21... Verses 1 to 6, we read about Manasseh. And and what we understand is, and I want you to think about it Hezekiah, arguably, could be argued that he was the greatest king of restoration, reformation in Israel. Manasseh, what we're going to read, is arguably the worst king in the history of Israel. Manasseh did evil in the eyes of the Lord, following the detestable practices of the nations the Lord had driven out before the Israelites. He rebuilt the high places his father Hezekiah had destroyed. He did much evil in the eyes of the Lord. He reversed the good his father did and did much evil in the eyes of the Lord. Now how can this be taking place? How can there be people who live lives in such a powerful pursuit of God, yet not have a legacy that remains after they're gone? and what we see is a clue to Hezekiah's deficiency that exists within him and I'm sounding a bit of an alarm this morning as I'm saying to you all of these, uh, this progression, this storyline I'm sounding a bit of an alarm and I want you to think of it in these terms. We have enjoyed a wonderful season of building church in our nation over the course of decades now. It has been tremendous, and amazing things have happened, and I'm thankful for it. But we better be careful, because in this next season, God is calling us to some sense of transition that if we're not paying attention to what He's desiring to reveal, then we're going to be clinging to things that we should be letting go of and will keep us from stepping into the next dimension of the call of God in all of our lives. What I'm saying is way more significant than even I can comprehend, way more significant than any of us in this room can understand, but we are on a journey, and God is going to reveal this for us to be able to walk this out. Here's the problem Hezekiah had, and hear me loud and clear, this is a problem that many people in the church of this hour are going to have. Isaiah came to Hezekiah, 2 Kings 20, 16 to 19, and said, hear the word of the Lord. The time will surely come when everything in your palace and all your fathers have stored up until this day will be carried off to Babylon. How many of you would agree that does not sound very good? Everything, all your possessions are going to be carried off to Babylon. In fact, it goes on and says, nothing will be left, says the Lord. And some of your descendants, your children, your grandchildren, they're going, your own flesh and blood that, that will be born to you, they're going to be taken away and they will become eunuchs in the palace of the king of Babylon. Your children and your grandchildren are going to be castrated so they can serve in the presence of women in Babylon without any concern of any sexual uh, issue going. That's what a eunuch is. Do we all understand? This is not good. Yet Hezekiah's response is stunning. Hezekiah replied, the word of the Lord you have spoken is good. For he thought, will there not be peace and security in my lifetime? Next generation can take care of themselves. I'm just trying to build a great life for me. If we're not careful, we carry an attitude that enjoys God for our lifetime without any concern of what God is desiring to do in the generation following us. I've I've been at it for a few years, and I've watched consistently the greatest struggles in the church over decades that I've observed are the people who don't want the transition to the new because they're comfortable with what was. Whether it's the music, whether it's style, whether it's lights, whatever, whatever it may be. We when, when this church asked me to become the pastor, I thought they were crazy. And I, I said, I just can't even believe that they would ask that. I'm not a pastor. I don't know how to pastor. I don't know how to preach. No one ever taught me how to write a sermon, not even sure if I'd do it right now. But I, I just thought to myself, this is crazy. And I actually preached a message when this church voted. We were voting congregation and there were 70, I think 71 people voting on me that night. And I had a choice. I could stand nervously and give my best sermon and hope that those 71 votes cast the right way. Or I could just stand up and be who God called me to be. And I chose the latter. And my title of my message was, I want to preach to you the five reasons you would never want me to be your pastor. That's exactly the title of my message. and One of those five reasons was this. If you, if you bring me in as your pastor, you need to understand we are about the next generation. Every generation that we come into will always be about the next generation. What that means is change is here to stay. I'm going I'm to live true to that word in this next season. God is going to bring us into a space where we're going to understand some things about the church and the body of Christ that he's desiring for us to move into and step into as the church. And what I struggled with all morning was to share some of those things with you that I didn't feel I was quite ready to begin to share with you because they, they run so deep. But the Holy Spirit just began to challenge me that this is the moment that I'm to begin to bring some of what we're all sensing and hearing and praying into and fasting and just believing God for wisdom to walk this out. Your action point, I want to give it to you before I go here, because your action point is simply this. I want to ask you this week, I want you to pray for somebody younger than you. It could be your son, your daughter. It could be another person that you're not related to. Pray for somebody younger than you and make an encouraging deposit in their life this week, sharing God's faithfulness in your life. Use one of our thank you cards that are available in the lobby, but make an investment in somebody who's the next generation. And I'm going to ask if our worship team will come because what I'm going to begin to share and speak right now, I want us to worship into it. it. We won't all comprehend understand it. I don't comprehend understand it. That's why I really wasn't wanting to say too much about it. You'll hear more, those of you that, that are part of serve teams, you'll hear more about this when we gather on, uh, on that first Wednesday in December and we're talking about the 2021 New Year's Revelation. And then we're going to launch into a greater understanding of that as we step into this next year. How many of you know when we stepped into 2020, the Lord spoke to us as a church family? This is a year. Do Anybody remember what the New Year's revelation for 2020 is? If you can see the invisible, you can do the impossible. I want you to know we didn't know that Goliath was going to come stare us in the face but I know this if you can see the invisible you can do the impossible and somehow we have risen in this time of great challenge and I keep mentioning this statistic because it's mind boggling to me but city officials local officials communicating that their perception is that we are meeting 85% of the deepest needs in society right around the context of our church in a time of 2020 challenge can you just celebrate that with me? God is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above, beyond all that we can ask or imagine. If we can see the invisible, we can do the impossible, I'm calling to the sons and daughters of God that will take our eyes off of that which is tangible and that which is temporal and lift our eyes to that which is eternal. 2020 has been a difficult year. There have been these opposing winds coming against us. Gale force winds did you know the Bible actually references us as eagles you know how eagles are with gale force winds they're the only bird that actually goes up into the jet stream and uses those gale force winds capturing the winds underneath beneath their wings soaring to greater heights than possibly imagined that's who you and I are you know, airplanes never take off trying to run with the wind. Airplanes always take off trying to face against the wind because it's the, 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 up, the opposing force of the wind that actually causes a greater sense of lift. And this is a principle that you and I need to understand in the body of Christ. So what is God doing in the midst of our pain? What is God doing in the midst of these gale force winds? What is God doing in the church? The legacy that I'm talking about. The next generation expression it's very common in the midst of our pain and there's a lot of pain going on right now in this particular season of the church as we're trying to sort through and navigate through and, and we've got uh, so much uncertainty and, and ridiculousness and, and we were all so ready for a presidential election that would remove all uncertainty. Aren't you glad it's just removed all uncertainty now? I mean, it's just a crazy time. It's a crazy time that we're in. This is what you need to understand. It's very common for trauma to deepen dysfunction. Sometimes even making room for addiction, which I want you to understand actually is the essence of idolatry. And I don't have time to explain all this, but in a couple of weeks I will. Trauma deepens dysfunction, even making room for addiction. And addiction many times will medicate our pain. But the problem is that addiction will while medicating our pain only deepen our dysfunction. Coming out of dysfunction requires a sober mind, which is painful, (laughs) but pain serves purpose. Pain after surgery is normal. It's part of the healing process. Here's where it gets a little more challenging, because it's interesting. uh, we've been on this journey and I haven't put all this together. I've just been trying to be sensitive to the Lord. And I don't know, a few months ago, I, I spoke on the issue of idolatry. You remember that? And, uh, and I had a few people kind of regurgitate at me on idolatry. I mean, I, I didn't get attacked over it, but I had people just come and say, I just, I'm, not, I'm not in all this idolatry. I'm not sure what all you're talking about with this idolatry. Some of you may be in the room. I don't. I don't remember who it was. I just. I just know there was some some sense of scuttle in in this. And I just want to say to you, idolatry is an issue that God is wanting to address on a very deep level in this next season of the church. Hear me loud and clear. There is idolatry in the modern day church around uh, church planting. We've created idolatry around great preaching. We've created idolatry around hi, high. Uh, high-profile personalities and people, men and women that we look at in an idolatrous perspective. And Jesus is saying, I don't want anything to do with idolatry. I want the name of Jesus to be lifted up in our midst above everything else. Everything else. So listen, we'll, we'll explain it more as we look into it and we walk this out together. But I need you to hear me say, there is a decentralization coming to the church. There's a decentralization coming to the church. Now I know, I know you it's a term we're hearing that, but here's the thing. There's way too much focus on this position, way too much focus on these singers, way too much focus on a centralized gathering. You know what COVID has taught us? You know what we've learned from COVID? We've learned that we're much better at gathering people in a church building to provide for them a service of church than we are at truly making disciples who know how to make disciples and care for the needs of people around them. That's what we've learned from COVID. Why is that? Because idolatry has been rampant in the church and we've not known how to address it effectively. But God is going to address this. God is going to address this, and we are going to cooperate. Amen. There's a decentralization, listen, very important. A decentralization without deconstruction. We love the church. We're supposed to gather as the church. It's just that gathering as the church isn't God. Mobilizing the churches, the plans—what we're supposed to be doing, gathering as the church—is a part of what we're going to continue to do. We're not going to deconstruct it; we're just going to decentralize it. There is a dismantling that's happening, not a demolishing. We need to all be clear. How many of you want to be Jesus? I want you to I want to be like Jesus. Raise your hand really high if you want to be like Jesus. I want to be like Jesus. How many? Of you know, Jesus loves the church. So if you want to be like Jesus, you better learn how to love the church. Not be mad at her all the time. But here's the bottom line. We're going to learn how to go deeper in embracing encounter over entertainment. How to celebrate God's presence more than man's presentation. How to embrace intimacy over the industry of Christianity in our in our society the bottom line Jesus will be over everything. His presence over any presentation. Jesus over everything. Will you just stand in His presence right now? Will you just stand with an attitude of faith, expecting and believing for the presence of God to invade your heart, to invade your home, to invade the culture of our city? Would you stand in an attitude of faith that says God has called us to raise up sons and daughters that have seen us walk with God in such a way that the power of God is demonstrated in our society, that bondages are broken, entire wings of hospital wards with people with COVID are cleaned out in Jesus' mighty name. Such a power that God has called us to carry. Will you have faith for that? Will you begin to allow God to do a work within you, to remove the things He needs to remove, to fill you with the things that He needs to fill you with so that you will be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. Will you engage in a place of pursuing God and the Word of God? Will you fast? Will you pray? Will you gather together as a church in expectation that when we sing, the weapons of the warfare of our enemies are broken in the mighty name of Jesus that chains are falling and breaking off that we are becoming the people he's called us to be in the mighty name of Jesus Father I thank you that you sent your son Jesus so that we might have and enjoy experience and express true life Awaken that life within us in this next season of the church, we pray. We acknowledge Jesus is who he says he is. Jesus is the Savior of the world, and in our sin, we were desperate. Some of us, maybe online or on this campus right now, are desperate for him to redeem and rescue our lives. We acknowledge, Jesus, you died on a cross, but you're risen from the grave, and you are no longer dead, but you are alive, and we acknowledge we need you now to invade our lives in a powerful and profound way in Jesus' mighty name. Come on, if you declare in agreement with that prayer, why don't you give King Jesus celebration and praise as we lift up his name we honor you Lord you are worthy of our praise you are worthy 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 of our praise oh God I thank you Lord I thank you Lord for your faithfulness in our lives Jesus mighty name So somewhere along this journey, we began to realize that worship in conclusion gives us the opportunity to take that which God has revealed within us and begin to express it to an atmosphere around us. You're powerful intercessors. I don't know if you understand yet just how powerful you are, but God's power in you is the power to transform the world around you. So what we do is we, we translate his presence into this incredible expression. Smith Wigglesworth walked in the presence of God so powerfully that he got on a streetcar and he just stood there and never said a word, but because the presence of God was emanating from him so powerfully, people on the streetcar just began to weep. They couldn't even understand why. They were just weeping. They were experiencing the presence of God in such a way that it began to address deep issues that existed within their heart. You and I are carriers of the presence of God. There's something in this season that God wants us to translate that he's revealing within us into an expression and a lifestyle of worship. And that's why in this season we're asking, we're not finished. We want to press in and just take some time to worship. Randy's going to begin to lead us back in to that declaration of breakthrough. And I want to ask you to take what God's stirring in your heart and express it with faith. Express it with an attitude that sees the enemy being routed from your household, from your life, from your finances, from your health, in Jesus' mighty name. It begins to perpetuate God's kingdom in the earth, in the mighty name of the Lord. So come on, we're going to take about five minutes and just press in. Just lead us in. Come on, let's go deeper. Let's go deeper. Let's go deeper together, church. Let's go deeper.